0: Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready. Get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. It is your favorite time of the week. It is my favorite time of the week. It's the Hobby Hustle and a happy freaking new year to all of the Stacking Slabs family. 2021, can you believe it? We made it here. All that stuff, you know, it's for the birds. Of course, it's 2021. It's a new year. It happens every year. But that doesn't mean that we can't be freaking excited about all of the opportunity and what is ahead. I'm an optimist. If you're an optimist, shout out to you. Let's go. There's so many more conversations that I'm going to have lined up on this podcast. There's so many more takes that I'm going to be giving all of you, and there's going to be so much more passion for me and the rest of the Stacking Slabs family coming at you this year, and it starts on this episode. I got to tell you, I am really excited to share this one to you with you. It's with my man, Greg, from the Pack Profits. He is someone that I've met through content in the hobby. He wrote an article. I posted it we started to engage and have conversations. Um, and It's just been such a fun time uh, getting to know Greg and what he is about. He is someone in the hobby that I would consider to have an abundant mindset. He is very patient. He's a very good operator. And he there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to have him on this episode today. So what I wanted to do was um, have him unpack the article that he recently wrote that was on Card Ladder. It's called Chasing a Grail, Mistakes, Patience, Discipline, and Glory. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about what's happening right now in the NBA market. And of course, maybe talk about some expectations going into 2021. I think it's a really fun conversation. I think there's a lot of nuggets that are unpacked. and Greg did a nice job of sharing his perspective with all of you. Definitely, if you like what you hear on this show, hit that damn subscribe button. You know I, I appreciate that, love. Tell a damn friend about Stacking Slabs in 2021. If you got a friend getting right back in the hobby, bring them to this podcast. Tell them I'm bringing it every week. I do appreciate that. And of course, follow me at across all social channels at Stacking Slabs. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to The Hobby Hustle. In a happy new year to all of you. I am excited to be kicking off the Hobby Hustle edition of Stacking Slabs podcast with my man, Greg from the Pack Profits. Um, we got connected through Instagram like a lot of us do in the hobby. Um, I read one of his articles that we'll be talking a lot about today on the card ladder. I think I posted it. You reached out, and we just started chatting, and kind of the rest is history, and I think that's the fun part about the hobby and the tools that we have. Um, Without further ado, Happy New Year to you, Greg. How are you? Happy New Year, my brother. I hope your holiday was good and indie. Getting
1: cold here in New York, but the hobby is on fire. It's heating up even more with the new season, so I'm doing well. The team here is doing well, and uh, I'm excited to have a little chat with you today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely want to dig into your article. Um, Happy holidays to you. Of course, I know you are a big Nets fan and you're a big Luka collector, so we'll get into that. But what what are your observations so far? I know as we're recording this, the Nets dropped a game to Charlotte, which happens um, this early in the NBA. I didn't get a chance to watch that game, but I've watched their other two games where they look like absolute world beaters. I mean, Kevin Durant, um, he, I guess, is worth all of the the pumping that's happening in the market. Like People are acting like Kevin Durant wasn't a Hall of Fame player before he got to Brooklyn, but that's another story. But how, how are you feeling about uh, Kyrie, KD, what the Nets have shown you so far?
1: Uh, first off, it's tough to not be really excited. It's tough to not feel like they're the best team in the league, title favorites, you know, it's tough to not feel all those things when you when you see the pieces that you've been waiting over a year for to watch play together, come together, and it, and it works, and it works well. But, you know, we're recording this after uh, the Nets lost to the Hornets. Uh, so all those expectations can sometimes come crashing back down to earth, and you have to take everything with grain of salt. You have to realize it's a long season. You have to realize injuries happen. You have to realize things don't always go your way on certain nights. I think especially being in the hobby, it's so reactionary that sometimes it's tough to take that step back and see the big picture. But at the end of the day, what I've been telling people for over a year is if Kevin Durant's on your basketball team and he's healthy and he's back, which at least through these first few games, it looks like he is, you're a title contender and you're going to be really freaking good. So that's what we're seeing. Uh, You know, I, I think the Nets are kind of one game at a time, one week at a time as far as making all the pieces work to a place where you think that maybe they have a shot to win the East and maybe they have a shot to beat the Lakers Clippers or one of these big teams down the line. But the focus is health, getting everyone healthy into the playoffs. And then you go from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was my mentality when, you know, I know KD suffered the injury and I know there was a lot of skepticism on will he be back to the form that we once saw him at, you know, Golden State, Oklahoma City. My thought process was always like, they're taking extra time with him. And this guy's a Hall of Famer for a reason, because he not only has a natural ability, but he puts in the work. So my expectation, I think, out of the gates was that Kevin Durant was going to be the Kevin Durant of old. I think I, there's a little uncertainty with how he meshes with a guy like Kyrie. I know Kyrie coexisted with LeBron and won a title. Um, but what, what have you seen from that dynamic between Kyrie and KD so far? I know it's early, but uh positives and maybe some negatives, if any?
1: Well, it, it is early in this particular season, but these guys have been here for over a year now together. And I think Kyrie grabs the headlines because he's wacky and he says things that are not of the norm. But I think for net fans that are here every day and seeing reports from beat reporters and reactions from players to their arrival from day one to where we are now. People want to believe Kyrie is this horrible person, this bad teammate. And, you know, is he perfect? Probably not. But since he got here, it's almost like Shawn Michaels lost his smile. Kyrie's (laughs) kind of gotten his smile back a little bit. Love it. Yeah, he, he, you know, he came home. These guys chose Brooklyn as the place that they went together. They chose here, not the other way around. A lot of people had their hand in the pot there when they were free agents. And these guys got together and said, we want to come here. And this is going to be the next part of our legacy. It's important for Kyrie. It's important for Kevin to have this team be theirs and make something special of it. So I think you're seeing a happy version of Kyrie. Net fans have been here every day and seen it, but people put on ESPN and see the wacky headlines and want to not like Kyrie. As for Kevin, man, again, devastating injuries. He going to be 75%, 80%. People that are locked into to the Brooklyn Nets every day see how hard this guy's been working, see what people say that have seen him in the gym. And he's had a long time now to recover from this injury. You know, we're going to play it safe, but he looks all the way back to me. And and that's just through a couple of games, he looks all the way back. Once that rust is fully knocked off, good luck,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you there just from what I've seen so far. And one of the things you just touched on about monitoring your team, and I talked about this just being, you know, a Colts and Pacers fan. When you're a fan of those teams, like, you're in it day to day, right? You're reading the beat, you're in the Reddit pages, you're you're connecting with the community. So your level of sophistication on what's happening in practice, rotations, depth chart, like gee, it's up a level, right? And you can take that and apply that to what's going on in the hobby. Then you see like what's happening as you reference, maybe on mainstream media, and there's these sound bites and things to grab people's attention. And then people start to think one way about a certain player when you're down in the weeds and you're like, yeah, that's what the media is saying. But like, this is what's really happening. I think that applies to like, not only with sports, but then sports cards, right? You've got any given night, any player has a performance, which hello, everybody, like players go off randomly every night in the NBA. Right. And so then people post these cards and then this hype train builds and like, it's already happening with, the NBA and it's happening at a level, I think that's a little more intense and maybe a little more extreme than what we saw even in the bubble, which that was absurd. Like, what would you say just in terms of like mentality and what would you say to the hobby in terms of like, I'm trying to walk this line where I'm like, Hey, everyone, like this day trading element is like fun and it's exciting. And that's why people play DFS and that's why people gamble on sports but it also can wreck you if you're careless about it. So like, how do you advise like the community on just what's happening any given night in the NBA and then applying that to sports cards?
1: Oh man, it's such a tough question because it, it, it's it, it's right there in front of us every day. It, it, you can't run away from the way that the hobby is right now and, and how it reacts to the day to day. And one one way I try to view it is these younger guys whether it be the Bobo scrimmage or the Talon Horton Tucker or the Darius Baisley run ups or, you know, even some other guys that are playing well, but are they worth some of the prices? I don't know. I try to view these younger guys almost as currency. I, I just envision it in my collection as currency. So you got to be ready to move some of this stuff. If you think it's the right time to sell, uh, I try not to get too attached to uh, too many players. So, you know, it, it's tough to to point people in the right direction when things change so quickly and and you might sell a Talon Horton Tucker on eBay for $100 and then now he doesn't play as much and someone wants to return it. So there's a lot of problems with the reactionary market that I don't have the solutions to or, mm-hmm. or to point people in the right direction. But my advice is to always stay ready with, with some of the cards in your collection To be able to move on if a a guy has a a good week, a good month, if his market heats up, if someone on his team gets injured, now he's starting, his cards are going to go up. So maybe you move that and you get something you want, or maybe you move it into the next guy that you want to speculate on. But I'm very conscious to not talk myself into falling in love with too many of these young guys. Mm -hmm. Just because you spread yourself too thin with with prospecting and you want to consistently be moving things you don't care about into a a base to move into things that you do care about.
0: I, I love that mentality. And I think we get caught up so often in, or at least what's in front of me is I always see like these cards and all the buying and these prices and being like, man, like there's so much excitement this early about buying. But then on the other side of it, it's always the opportunity to just sell into it too. And like, Dude, for instance, like, I had not, like, obviously being a Pacers fan, I've watched every game this year, and they're playing at an exceptional level with a new coach, and um, DeMontis Sabonis is continuing to progress and be boner, the guy. my guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> boner for mvp i had to cut you off there boner baby uh, no let's do it boner
0: <laughs> um but but like you know i dude i i literally haven't looked at his card prices until like this morning and i was like you gotta be wow like this is an outstanding like these like his his silver like uh prism was you know sixteen hundred dollars or whatever and i was Look back and I was digging through all my old cards. And one of the first cards I bought when I came back from the hobby, I found when that was this mosaic rookie autograph. And I'm looking at this and I'm getting ready to send in my could Cracked Ice Express PSA. And I look at this card listed raw for 360 bucks on eBay right now. And this is a card that like I've passed on sub- submitting for six, seven submissions, and now. I'm submitting it express with that Seku <laughs> card because I'm like, it's $75. But if this comes back at 10, like I can sell this, you know? And uh, so I think it's like, I don't know. I share that story because I think if you're observing this and you think it's wacky on the other side, just think, man, like you have the opportunity to sell into this craziness, you know?
1: Yeah. And this is coming from a Pacer fan who watched this guy make the all-star team last year. And, you know, you even you you're not paying it too much mine it's a nice card i'll keep it in my pc for a little bit and maybe when the day comes to sell it hello the day is here the pieces are three and oh, and this guy's dropping triple doubles like magic johnson
0: who knew yeah and i just <laughs> I, I i i i took for granted i think the fact that you know there's this perception about the guys in the hobby who pop right trey young ja moran luca these guys that like you know, they're they're out there and they're young. They've got so much potential and they're scoring 30, 40 points a night, triple doubles. And then I look at, you know, my pacers that no one pays attention to and think I just watch Sabonis put in the work, but I'm like, you know what? Like, this is a guy the hobby will never understand or the never will get behind. And now because of the wackiness of this market, now I'm saying, wow, like maybe this is a guy. And I think it just is like, for me, it's like, man, things in this hobby change so quickly never get settled on what you think is happening because I feel like it just every night it, there's a ripple effect and something different new pops up.
1: Yeah. And you know, I I think Sabonis is actually a really interesting guy to talk about because and I would have even made these arguments so much as a couple months ago where we're so ingrained coming up in the hobby for the last 20, 30 years that ah, uh, the hobby doesn't like big men. Why? This guy is out there and probably the, the most competitive version of the NBA that we've seen in our adult lives. And he's got his team three, and you0, you know, he's scoring at will triple doubles. He's an exciting player to watch. Why can't this guy have a fan base, a collector base? Why can't this guy, you know, his silver is, has gone up. It shot up to, you know, what, $1,500. That's mm-hmm. a fraction of Luca. It's a fraction of Trey. It's a fraction of Ja. It's a fraction of Zion. This guy's already been an all-star. This guy is the son of an NBA icon, (laughs) arguably the probably second best passing big man of all time now behind Jokic. But there's a lot to like about this guy, and he has collectability. And I think the rules for even the most seasoned long-term collector are changing because the NBA is accessible. Indiana, small market. Guess what? I could go on Twitter right now and search Sabonis, and I'll see a, a ton of highlight plays from last night. I'll see the headlines that he's dropping triple doubles. I have access to to Indiana basketball on my computer, on my phone. So the rules are changing where if, if a big guy is playing well and his team is winning,
0: why wouldn't he be collectible? I love that. And I think it's it goes back to no matter the position or the role on the team, it's w- what they're doing to help contribute to a, building a winning culture and winning games and having moments like, in the game against Boston, he was the guy who had the ball, who put the who got fouled, and who uh, got the and one to put the Pacers ahead. To watch Jason Tatum miss another winning time moment, not to brag on, oh uh, my partner, rag- get mad at that. My partner, <laughs>
1: Tatum right. a- PC, sorry
0: Pete. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, it just to me, it, it just the rules are changing, like you said, and the accessibility. Like as a league pass subscriber, man, like I just sit there and I watch all the games every night. And it does to me, I don't think about things as in position, but I think about players and those who are going to help contribute their team, uh, help build their teams and contribute to winning. So I think, again, it's like never settle, never. if If you have cards that you don't think are valuable, they're probably valuable sitting under your futon. Maybe not now, but maybe they will be in a month or two. Things happen so quickly.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, we can't grade every card that we have. It takes too long and it's too expensive. But part of playing the prospecting game is when you when you do have some guys laying around or you do grade some stuff or even if it's raw, if you're holding on to stuff and you're waiting and you want to see how a guy turns out and he has this run, it, it's bonuses. We're talking years from now now from his rookie season. You have to be ready to cash out and you don't have to always guess guess the top but that's why we prospect to see some return on on our our faith in these players so i think it's important to uh enjoy these guys as they climb up the the ladder in the league and become better players but also not fall in love with everybody and be ready when when a guy likes a bonus has some appreciation in the hobby to maybe take some return if you're holding some of him
0: Totally. And before we jump into the article, I want to talk a little bit about grading since you, you brought it up. I think when people in the hobby think about grading in delays, people are thinking about, you know, 50, 100, 200 card submission of base stuff that they're looking to get slabbed up so that they can go sell. And obviously, if you want to wait, this is going to be your longest wait in the hobby, right? You're paying, you know, $12.99 or wherever the hell it costs at this point a card and you're going to wait for it. And that's fine. If you if you have the patience and you you don't need, you know, the assets now to sell back in, maybe that's what you do. But I think there's this other school of thought too, that I've been on recently about like acquiring cards that might be if they're in season or whatever, if they have the potential to go up, but acquiring these cards that aren't necessarily base cards, but are really, really nice cards that are in good condition. You're doing your research on the seller on eBay and you see that they sell mostly uh, raw cards and um, you're looking at their feedback and you acquire these cards and then you say, okay, well, it's worth it to me to pay the $75 to get this card back because if I get it back a 10, then, or even a nine, here are my potential returns. I don't think that this gets talked about enough I, because there, the, you're, you might not get those cards back in the turnaround of like five days or whatever, but it might be two weeks or whatever. But again, it's all about getting the process going and getting those cards back into your possession so that you can decide what to do with them. What is your perspective on just like, Grading opportunities within grading, and what have you been seeing?
1: Uh, I think that this came up for me and a lot of other people recently with the release of Prism Football, with weighing the opportunity risk of even some base cards. You know, you had a great rookie quarterback class, some great rookie wide receivers. But I, I made the decision for myself that it was almost too late in the season, even for express on some of these guys. So I'm packing my stuff and I'm sending it, you know, 20 day or 45 day and we'll play the game when next season starts. Mm. But, you know, prison basketball is going to come out in March. And I think you're going to see a lot of people expressing, you know, rookie silvers of some of these guys and and, and things like that. Just because A, to have the first tens in the market, you see it all the time. It always just it's an insane premium because people want that card in their possession. They want to lock it up and be done. I got the lamella ball 10. I'm done with lamella ball. I could put that away. So I do think that there, there's there's some opportunity there to suck it up and pay the extra $40, $50, especially as we see players get uh, hot and cold and have these run-ups. But I also, I mean, I, I just think that we're going to settle a little bit with some of these jumping prices on some guys as the season goes along. So I do think, you know, guys like uh, like some Sabonis who we've talked, about at length now, uh, some, you know, the Cleveland guys like Garland and Sexton, some guys that are that are hot and have room to grow and are starting and playing 30 plus minutes and you have nice cards there sitting around, it might behoove you to use that express service and, and you might be eating 40 bucks extra to grade that card, but A, you'll have it back 10 times as fast and B, you'll have more time and opportunity to gauge the market where you know, we're, we're always talking about selling the top and, and buying at the bottom. You might not make the top, but maybe you get your card back in a week, you sell it. And two weeks later, Garland's not playing well or it gets hurt or anything could happen in an NBA season. So I do think if you're sitting on nice cards of guys with big opportunities and nice roles that are playing well, it does make a lot of sense to think about expressing some of this stuff just because the delays get worse every day. So if if you're sending a 20-day out today, you might not get it until like the end of the season. Oh and who God. the hell knows what could happen by then. So,
0: Yeah, and I think in another thing before we, we move on on this topic that is the fact that too, like think about the prison basketball example. If you're spending money to do one of your breaks, if you are spending even more money to maybe buy – a hobby box of prison basketball, like you've invested that money in that product or that break, and getting those cards back and knowing that where they're coming from you, and being like this didn't change a bunch of hands. This came directly from Greg, or this came directly from this pack I ripped. Gives me more incentive to go express it right because the chances of it getting a ten increase. I had to your example. I had this experience when I decided to go to the LCS and buy a hanger of mosaic football and pulled a orange reactive, Justin Herbert, there were no tens on the market. So I expressed it, got a 10, sold it. Chances are now it's probably two X what I sold it for. But at the time, you know, I was making $300 profit. So I said, whatever, like, I don't care. Like this is, if I can do this every time it would makes buying wax uh, affordable. Right. I know that's a gamble in and of itself, but I think having, knowing the peace of mind that the, the cards haven't changed hands a bunch, I think is something people should be thinking about too.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you're getting a cleaner card. You're not playing the eBay guessing game where, you know, a lot of people just (laughs) won't buy raw off eBay, period, just because they they don't believe that there's any gems to be had out there, especially for a better player or
0: higher value dollar card. But What's your perspective on that? Like, do you think, I just love to know your mentality on buying raw cards on eBay. Like, is it something you do? if so why if not why
1: it's something now that i do a lot less than i did in the past just because i think every day more people are grading their cards for the first time more people are are grading players that they wouldn't have normally thought about grading and it's just it, it you 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 go on ebay and you say to yourself why is this card being sold raw like prism football just came out and people they're putting their raw cards on the market to recap some of the money that they they broke and keep the guys they want and sell the guys they don't want. But, you know, Prism basketball the last few years, why is this card being sold raw? Does the seller just need a quick 50 bucks, 100 bucks? Uh, you know, so you have to ask yourself that. And there's only so much that you can tell from the pictures. I think if you want to really play the, the buy raw and eBay game hard, you're looking for lots of players that you're prospecting on you know, mm. lots of five, lots of 10, lots of 20. and Maybe you get a couple gems out of a lot and you go from there on lower end players, but I just have a hard time co-signing, buying any sort of high value top end hobby player raw anymore. I'd, I'd rather just quell the risk and spend a little bit mo- more money. Even if it's PSA nine, at least you know what you're getting. You know, you got the PSA stamp and that's what it is. This is a PSA nine. It's not It's not off-centered. The corners aren't messed up. It's a nine. So Mm -hmm. that's my kind of eBay buying mentality. I think as the world opens back up and people start going to card shows, then that's where you could get your opportunity buying raw on some of these guys where you could see it, hold it, and make your own determination right there on the spot.
0: Totally. We've all been in those shoes where we've bought a card on eBay and it you message the seller and they responded back and it looked great. And then you get the damn thing back and you notice the dimple somewhere mm-hmm. on the card. And it's just, there's always an issue, but maybe we jump into your article. Cause I think this is a timely article. A lot of people are talking about chasing grails. I know I've been in that mentality of, you know, consolidation, moving up the ladder, but you wrote an article called chasing a grail mistakes, patience, discipline, and glory. It's very short, but it is impactful. I think it was something it hit me at a time when I was going through this process and your article helped me just unpack what I was going through mentally in my head and kind of make me reason with some of the decisions that I had been making or that I was planning to make. Um, Maybe we can start with like, where did... What was the catalyst for this article? Like, what, what space were you in when you were like, all right, I think I should write this because I think people in the hobby would benefit from it?
1: Well, I think writing, whether it's a small article, which that happened to be, uh, or something large, uh, it always takes a lot of self-reflection as to how you feel personally and finding the right subject matter that you, know, that you care about, that you feel like you're knowledgeable enough about to share. So, you know, I had spoken to the guys at Card Ladder who were fantastic uh, about writing for them. And I was really searching for something that I believed in passing on to other collectors. And I was just, you know, we were watching the prism bases going crazy. And then we're seeing all these new products come out. And and I just kind of just had a day where I was like, where is enough enough with how many different Zions can you have and this, that, and the other thing? And I, I really wanted to focus on what I believed in far as the way that i collect which is trying to get really cool stuff and i won't say rare or number just trying to get cool stuff of the people that you like and the term
0: consolidation I'm, i'm gonna stop you here okay so this is important and cool stuff is something i say but cool stuff means different things to everyone different so i love the fact that you bring this up because Defining cool is completely subjective, but in in your walk us through what is cool to you. I think what is cool to me
1: without getting too far off course is a something that everyone can't just have. You you know, you can't just go on eBay search for it and find it. You can't just walk into your LCS and buy one. It's something that has a little bit of rarity to it. It's something that you're going to want to hold for a long time. And not necessarily for the financial reasons that a lot of the people in the hobby like to chase some grails, but making the connection to, to not only the player or team or whatever, but also a product that speaks to you or the way that a card looks. Or again, like I said, you know, the, whether it's a PSA 10, and it's a tough grade, whether it's a cool looking card that's rare, it has to have a little oomph behind it. It can't just be like, all right, anyone could open a pack and get this easily. I I like a little bit of a chase with my cards. I like them to look cool and I like it to be a player that I really enjoy watching and care about and will hold long-term.
0: I love it. And I completely interrupted you, but you were talking about consolidation before I interrupted you and the spirit of the, why you wrote the article.
1: So, yeah, I I was just, I was, I was at a place uh, shortly after I was at a place and trying to consolidate my own collection and I think that there, there's a lot of product now, and a lot of years of product, and a lot of good, promising young players. I, of course, it's no surprise, focused in on Luka Doncic uh, a,
0: a while ago. Tell uh, those that are tell tell those that are listening what you're wearing right now.
1: <laughs> I am wearing uh, the new Mavs City Edition gold because a king should be draped in gold. Of course, the real king. Uh, Luca Doncic jersey, which I got for Christmas, I posted a story on my page of how excited I was. Santa was very good to the profit this year, so we're we're rocking that. Uh, but I don't want to veer too much, of course, and focus too much on Luca. But when it comes to consolidating, I want things that that not everyone else has, and it's tough to find that in that market to find something that is both rare, impactful. And also, I think it's cool to be recognizable. Everyone identifies with the Prism brand, the different colors. You know, it's so tough to find the right consolidation balance. I think it differs from collector to collector and person to person. But ultimately, the path I went down was taking all of these players. You know, we get new rookies every year, sometimes 30, 40 different rookies in a class. And we love to rip. And we don't always know what's going to come out of our pack. So you take some of these guys that you hit and you grade them or you sell them raw and you just start the process. And you hold a couple guys each year that you might believe in and you collect a couple guys that you like. And then slowly over time, like a ball, you just kind of mold it. You keep selling and you try to get a focus into one lane, one avenue, whether that be a player or a couple players. And instead of having a bunch of base cards or Twenty cards of one guy, I try to narrow it down, lock into a card, chase it, build towards it, and then start over again. you
0: know but, <laughs> and what and, and one of the things about your process that i I find I definitely find myself in the similar position position where you you become affiliated with a guy like you said from the top, we just spent the beginning of this episode talking about the nets and what you like from the nets, but you're collecting luca and because i'm guessing that as a part of your process and you said molding the ball luca stood out to you this whole time like a lot of other collectors where you were saying man i'm watching this guy every night he's exciting like this is my guy so you are not only a brooklyn nets fan through and through diehard but then you've got an attachment to this guy who you're collecting so maybe talk to us about how you came to Luke and how that all worked out in your process.
1: Well, it's tough. Like, uh, And I'm sure you feel the same way sometimes. When we talk about the hobby, we get so excited and we want to throw all these thoughts together. But I kind of touched on it where you're you're building this ball and collect some guys you like and then focus on what you really like, but have a couple other guys. So when I got back in to, to the hobby, I was always like a legacy guy. I had Jordan cards, Colby cards. I kept a lot of cards from the 1996-97 draft class. But when I got back in, I wanted to collect my nets and I, you know, I wanted to prospect a little bit on some guys that I liked. The guy that stood out the most to me almost immediately from the first time I watched him play was Luca. He reminded me of uh, you know what stands out long term, not only for NBA legacy but for hobby legacy as a, you know, traditionally wing players who make exciting plays who could shoot, who could pass, who could do it all. And that was him. And uh, he almost, with some of the stuff he did off the court, pulls you in as a fan because he's got this almost boyish charm about him. He's always laughing. He had the relationship with Dirk on the way out and Luke on the way in. And it was almost like a big brother, little brother thing. And he just became an easy guy for me to root for. And through his play, he became even more of an easy guy for me to root for because he was just doing remarkable things for his age and I think at certain times his market was overvalued I think at certain times it was undervalued you know he he could be a top 10 player of all time or he could be just a really nice player who had a really nice career that maybe had too much hype and I'm aware of those risks but they're risks that I'm willing to take because I was able to kind of come into my luca collection by building towards it instead of you know mortgaging the home or emptying the 401k and that's what i think is important to mitigate your risks is consolidating into some of the more expensive stuff in your collection so at least you know this came from my cards not from <laughs> the food on my table so was-
0: yeah absolutely and one of the things you touch on in your article is just and i think this is important because a lot of people have this like including myself with i've been a collector my whole life but this completist mindset You talk about having this like self-discipline to not feel like you need to acquire every card of that player that you're watching and loving. And then it's not only that, it's taking it one step further and saying, hey, you are going to have to sell some of these cards at some point in order to fund some of your big boy purchases. That's something I'm currently going through uh, right now with Seku cards. Like I'm selling off, prism silver nines right now and sure like if he pops like i think he's gonna eventually pop those cards will probably be 3x what they're now but i need that cash in order to get the cracked ice and i and and so like for me it's 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 how it's a new whole new world where i'm i feel more focused because this is a market that i've been spending all my time in and i and i feel like i have more control than when i did in the past so maybe like talk through that because i think that's a really important topic that People just should be getting in the headspace if they're looking to consolidate and, and, and move up the ladder a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that could be a common misconception about uh, saying that someone PC somebody or IPC Luca is that doesn't mean that every Luca card I want. That doesn't mean that every Luca card I keep. Same thing with you with Seku. I try to. Have internal discipline on my way up the Luca ladder, where a lot of the, especially the last three quote unquote grails that I have moved into, a majority of that equity came from another part of my Luca Doncic PC that I either trimmed or I traded up, or it was, you know, I took one big Luca and maybe another card and sold it to move into it. I think it's different for every collector. I think you know. Cards that you want or want to try to get into, and you will know when the time comes. I think if a card is expendable in your collection, plus anything you sell, you had you got to spend some time with it, look at it. So that's always an easy way for me to say goodbye to some stuff is you know what? It was cool to have this card, but I'm moving into something new that I've never had and I'm gonna enjoy and I can't wait to get. And most of the stuff that I've sold or traded, I haven't thought about since. And I look at the Lucas I have every day, you know,
0: I want to get to those grail pieces and just talk about what those are and, and why you gravitated to those. But first I think one common misconception without, I think this is an important topic because I think like somebody could see me who I've just have been very transparent about my passion of the players that I collect, my passion of those players I collect and why I'm collecting them. But someone could see me going and selling Seiku Silver uh Prism Nines and say, look at this guy. He's pumping and dumping, like he's <laughs> pumping up his own cards. But people don't might not realize that I'm doing that so I can get money so I can buy more of this guy or better of this guy. Like, have you thought through that at all? Like, like as a Luka fan and a Luka collector, like, do you care? Like if people think that way, or what are your thoughts just in general?
1: Well. The only thing I'll say about that is maybe if I was a, a well-known collector of a, of a different player, I would I would uh, worry about that. But unfortunately, this guy became the hobby darling on me really quickly, <laughs> and it's almost tough to identify Luca collectors like as Luca collectors because mm. everyone posts every Luca that they get. Everyone's trying to get Luca. So it's almost tough to stand out. And in turn, like it's tough to get accused being a pump and dumper when everyone is pumping Luca, everyone's selling Luca. Luka is, I know I said currency in the marketplace. Luka is is literally the, the currency line. Mm-hmm. The hobby moves and flows with Luca, and to a lesser degree, you know, uh, Zion, Ja, and Trey now. But Luca, Luca is is the watermark. So it's tough for me to feel any morality and and collecting him and pumping him and sometimes selling him when everyone is crazy about him.
0: Yeah. And I think like to that point on Luca, it is true. It is fact. Like every week, not a week goes by that I don't get on card ladder, that I don't go look at Luca select concourse, Luca select courtside. Because whatever's happening with those cards and that he's setting those trends. And so he, he is the watermark. He is the baseline. Um, so the, I've never really thought about it like that, but that puts you as the Luka collector in a very interesting position. Um, but may, maybe we can talk about you. You mentioned the cards that you will define as cool cards and the components of that, the Luka cards that you're sitting on now that are your like grail cards. Like what are those cards and how did, how did they fit in that category of cool cards to you? <laughs> Oh, man, now I got to give away all my secrets. <laughs> uh,
1: the first uh, numbered Luca, which was my first dive into trying to get something rare with a number on it, was his select white number to 149. Uh, we talked about buying raw cards earlier. I took a, took a risk on it. I bought it raw, but the difference is I bought it from someone that I had dealt with previously on Instagram someone whose word and opinion I felt like I could trust. They told me it had a very good chance to gem. They just needed the the you know, they were moving into something else quickly. So, I bought it. I gemmed it myself. I have that connection of it being my first like rare thing, so it's been that's the one that's survived the fires of my consolidation since. But it's it's white on white, number to 149, very low pop and I I, I don't that'll be a coffin card I think for me for sure because it's made it this far and uh so but but the reason I was drawn to that was at the time select was still kind of not getting too much love and before mosaic came out it was the only basketball brand that featured a white parallel and Luca happened to be wearing the white jersey in that picture so the color match thing was picking up steam with prism cards and I was like wow this is a this is a color match right here in select that nobody's thinking about. So I, I bought it for a, a serious fraction of what it's worth now. And I'm, I'm just fortunate to have seen it and fallen in love with the card, not being a big select guy too. And that kind of started the ball rolling on. What could I look at? That's a little bit different that everyone's not always looking at, which brought me to my love affair with the, the Luka Doncic upper deck uh, Euro league. It's his first printed card. Uh, We had another conversation about this not too long ago. I don't even know how you would find one nowadays. I don't even know what packs they came out of. And I do all my research on everything. But just a a really rare, unique, cool card. Going back to the cool stuff. You know, Luca was 16 when that card came out. It's rare. It's three years before his first Prism card came out. So just something cool. His first card, the start of his basketball journey. The start of his hobby prowess.
0: So I was happy to add that to my collection. I I can't I can't not look at that card without thinking of the hobby Luca LCS who Luca from Lameem James. Like I i look at that card and I'm like, is this a Lameem James meme? Well, it's funny that you brought up Lameem because he's on my, my you know what list
1: because he uh he released a, a meme today of Stephen A. Smith being a, a national treasures. Box breaker and Stephen A. Gets very unhappy when the Brooklyn Nets Nick's Nick Claxton RPA comes I saw, it. So I saw I, it. I had some unkind words for Christian earlier today and I don't think you're that funny. I don't think your memes are that funny. I gotta be honest with you. I, I, think, am. I, mean, I think I would make better memes. You're not funny, Christian. <laughs> 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 no, shout out to me. He he's always brings a good laugh, man. He's the most creative person in the hobby, probably. So. But uh, yeah, that, that card does make you think of like a Literally 15, 16-year-old Luca going to the local card shop and mom buying him some Panini Contenders or something.
0: Totally. And uh, I I before you get off the topic, I, you got to talk about just your prism bangers of Luca. I know I've seen those and those are pretty and I think those are worthy of a little bit of airtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, here's the thing is I have the, the prism fast break purple, which is the 75 and the prism fast break blue, which is the 175. And Fast Break kind of has this little redheaded stepchild aura about it when it comes to uh, uh, really any product, but to Prism and all the other Fast Break variations for the other products. Now, to me, when it comes to the top of the top in the hobby, which is where Luca is, you put a number on the back and that's how many copies there are, (laughs) bubbles on the front or not, listen, I'm going to want the rare stuff. You know, that both of these cards are super low pop and a 10. The fast break blue is a color match and looks nicer than the regular blue, I think. And I think over time, as the stigma of the fast break product kind of rubs off a little bit, at the end of the day, I acquired those because I was in a place where I could and because I think a number on the back of the card, I care about that just as much almost sometimes as what box it came out of.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm one hundred percent with you on that. Um before we move, last thing on this topic before we get into some twenty twenty one quick hits is you one of the ending says letting the collection or the ending paragraph says letting the collection work for you to achieve glory. What does that mean to you? Like what what can the listeners take away from that uh, line?
1: No, I think if you strip it down to, to, to the very bottom, it's It's in our nature to open paths. It's in our nature to want some new product. And you're going to rip some along the way. The cards that you hit that you don't want to keep forever, start grading them, start selling them, have an objective in mind. It's important to either A, have a a particular card that you want to work towards, or B, have some flexibility and liquidity to grab something that comes your way that you weren't expecting. That you suddenly want to move into, so I've had I've had A happen where I've worked towards something, and I've had B happen where something came to me, and I had stuff ready to sell to move into. So I think it's important to you know to take control of your collection, which in turn your collection will work for you by grading your cards, by selling them, by being ready to move on from stuff. You don't want to find yourself in a situation where you are you have dried up your liquidity where something comes your way and you can't make a move to act on it. So it's easier said than done. I I dried up my liquidity with my last Grail purchase and I was scrambling for months trying to get back in the game. But you, know, you really have to open up your mind and start thinking about the way that you're collecting and the way that you want to collect. Not everybody wants to chase Grails, but if you want to start moving into bigger cards, you gotta almost have a, a plan laid out ahead of time because if you keep flying by the seat of your pants, other people are
0: gonna outmaneuver you. Being proactive. I love That's that. It. All right, let's close it out with this 2021. I'm gonna just yell, I'm gonna just throw out some topics and, and maybe give me your perspective of what they're what's gonna happen with these things in 2021. We're gonna start with, and I'm gonna put it in quotes investors. Twenty twenty one. What's your perspective? What's happening with investors? I don't think investors are going anywhere. Uh, like I said,
1: I think long, long long-term, old-school collectors have to change the way that they're thinking because I don't think these guys are going anywhere. I think you're going to see more players relevant for longer amount of time than than you know back in the day. And you just have to be ready to adapt. You have to be ready to play the game with them. You know, uh, as for people starting out be selective on your content. I wouldn't listen to anyone that tells you to invest in anything other than other than your own beliefs. So that would be the advice I would give you there. I wouldn't pay anybody for any investment advice, but I don't think these guys are going anywhere. And I think they're going to drive up the low end to medium player market. And you just got to play the game with them and sell them what they're pumping right back to them when you have it.
0: You, get, you gave me the perfect segue because the next one was hobby content 2021. What do I, what do I
1: want to see from hobby content? Uh, geez, I would like to see people be more honest about mistakes they've made. And I mean, brutally honest and not necessarily huge financial losses, or I sold this card when it was a thousand, it could have been 7,000, but just documenting mistakes in a way that new collectors can understand how to learn from them, not make them and that's that's same thing with breakers that's hobby wide i just just more transparency and honesty to new collectors will keep the hobby not only growing but healthier for a, a long long time to come what about grading i could talk about grading for about as long as a 20 day submission takes i think it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's so it's so disgusting to even think about but i do think we're going in the right direction with psa i think the purchase was a a good sign i think it was a good sign for the health of health of the hobby i think obviously nat turner uh has the hobby's growth and best interest in mind with this purchase i think the people that are saying that he bought psa so his cards get tens are silly because he doesn't need his cards to get tens nor does he really care i don't think but i you know i think uh i think we're sooner rather than later to some sort of electronic rating computerized grading and hopefully more hiring and turnaround times because it's affecting the way that we collect with these delays. As I touched on it earlier with prison football. And you know, if you went hard on prison football this year, you have to wait till next football season to think about cashing in on most of your event investments.
0: Yes, I agree with you on that one. And then maybe close it out with a piece of advice in 2021 to anyone listening, something that you have learned or you are thinking about that you think will benefit the greater good.
1: Uh, A piece of advice that I'd like to give out is we spend so much time talking about both consolidation, rare cards, expensive cards, find something that you like that you don't care if anyone else likes, whether that be collecting uh, the last guy on, on the bench on your team, whether that be tennis cards, something to break up your tunnel vision onto Moving into these big cards and these super expensive cards, I get a lot of joy out of collecting random weird Nets cards. Prism Football got me into Jalen Hurts this year. He was my football guy. So I went out and I picked up this Santa sweater, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Rieger, dual card. I think it's important to remember why we all got into this. And most of us that did get into it got in when we were young and came back. Think about what excited you when you were young. I think, uh, I think it's important to remember that collecting is fun. And I use the word collecting as in collecting things, as in having a collection that's fun. Not everything needs to be a $100 bill that's going to turn into a $1,000 bill. Not everything needs to be a retirement plan. And I think when you do that, you'll have a little bit more fun in the hobby and it'll almost give you the energy to get back into the consolidation game. Because I know when I was between cards and trying to make things work, it kind of leveled me to to look at some cheaper stuff and and build my Nets PC and some other weird stuff along the way to just
0: slow me down a little bit sometimes and have a little fun with. You, yeah, can never ever forget about the sentimental attachment and uh, connecting with something you're passionate about? Before I let you go, Greg, why don't you uh, share maybe where you people can find you on IG and a little bit about Pack Profits?
1: All right, well, you can find us at Pack Profits that's uh <laughs> i'm sure brett will tag it and uh i'll tag you yeah. or whatever but we're a bit of a three-headed monster with a, a few more team members that pitch in here and there it's me it's uh, uh my buddy mike and my buddy pete we are all collectors first Pete is a little bit younger than me and mike so he gives us a little bit of a different perspective uh both on how younger people view the hobby and how he views it yeah, his his form of the hustle and uh we just, we're a very modest break room. We don't try to uh, get too many people in the live. We don't break every night. We try to have different rare product. You know, when everyone's going right, we try to go left. We do handle the major release days and stuff, but, you know, we broke a box of uh, 2012, 2013 contenders last night. So we're always trying different stuff just to keep it fun. It's a hobby for us, not a business for us. And I think a lot of breakers are forgetting that. And uh, we're always going to tell you when a box stinks. We're always going to tell you when a card is good. We just want everyone to have a good time. We always try to throw stuff in your package if you get zonked out. And we're just trying to extend the fun for everybody and be a fun place for people to rip or just hang out and talk sports cards.
0: Biggest biggest card in the last six months that you have pulled for one of your customers. (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: We've actually had a really, really good year of huge, grail, life-changing cards. And we've had really good luck with uh, a guy out of... uh, murray state named (laughs) john (laughs) moran so we hit uh on release day of national treasures we hit the john moran rpa with (sighs) a beautiful patch we just hit a john moran out of immaculate jersey numbered to 12 uh another beautiful patch for a buddy of ours who uh you know stuff like that is is sometimes a life-changing card for some people we pulled a after he passed a kobe bryant gold auto on card out of prism 2017 number to 10 from wow. one of my personal friends that got into the hobby this year and decided to jump in one of our breaks so we were able to pull that card for him and uh, who knows what that's worth nowadays we've pulled a luca contenders auto to 35 i think it was just just it's always something coming out in the monastery <laughs> as we like to call it the prophet's monastery
0: Oh, I love it. And it, it's it got to be fun on the other side, especially people who keep showing up when you're pulling some heaters for them and you know where it's going and you know they're good people and it could be life-changing.
1: Um, Amen, brother.
0: Yeah. Dude, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun to chat with you. Happy New Year. Everyone go check out the Pack Profits. And Greg, we will have to get you back on the Hobby Hustle soon, brother.
1: Listen, anytime you want the nature boy back in the building, you know where to find me, baby.
0: <laughs> so he's hol- he's holding up a Nature Boy jacket, and I've got a Nature Boy sweatshirt oh, on. Man, yeah, that's too funny. You know I had to <laughs> bring the Nature Boy out for
1: you. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, thanks again, brother. Much love, baby. Stacking slabs forever. Thanks for all you do for the hobby. We appreciate you.
0: That is one of the realest dudes. One of the good dudes. He's a good brother in the hobby. I appreciated that conversation. I appreciated his perspective and talking about going up and consolidating selling cards that he has and has an attachment to and just sharing his perspective I thought it was really sound and valuable hopefully um, you enjoyed the conversation definitely go follow the pack profits on IG always a fun account to monitor and go check out one of their damn breaks I mean shit they're pulling all that fire John Morant, all that stuff. Definitely go check him out. That is a breaker that is stacking slabs approved. All right, everyone. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And I will talk to you next week.